0: We are back. Reunited and it feels so good. (laughs) Sing the song if you know it. Welcome to the after party Uh, after a little bit of a hiatus. uh, My name is Quincy. I'll be uh, your host for today. We've got Jimmy. We've got Danielle. I'm just happy to be here. This is I'm on Zoom a lot but I'm actually this is I'm happy about this Zoom call. This is this is a good one to see your faces and and uh, And that we get to do this, so at the end of each series, our plan is to do this, so uh, we've got a collection of questions from uh from not just today's teaching but also the last few weeks and I'm happy I'm excited that we get to do this together so this has been a this has been a fun journey for me uh challenging I think you know Danielle, you were sharing a little bit of just got what God was sharing with you and doing to you and and kind of molding you and um so i'm I'm excited to just get right into the uh to the stuff now we've got Questions from all four, uh, uh, all four teachings, but we're going to start with the one that episodes. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Episodes. We're going to start with the latest, the season finale. The season finale we'll start with just because it's, it's just hot off the press and it's still kind of, I know it, it's steaming for me, but I'd love to, uh, before we get into the questions of that, I want to, Jimmy, maybe you can just share some of your like off the top kind of, uh, impressions from today. And then uh, Danielle, some of the the cutting room floor stuff that you didn't get a chance to get to that, uh, that you want to share. And then we'll get into some of the questions.
1: Oh, I mean, I found my, I, there's so much there, Danielle. I found myself literally yelling yes at my computer screen as I was tracking along. I mean, um, you're you're preaching today, Danielle, you're preaching today. You're preaching today. Yes. Uh. (laughs) Equal parts like preaching to us, but also just like so true to the narrative of like Israel uh and the evolution through Jesus, just like, I feel like our Jewish brothers and sisters would also be like, yes, yes. You Christians are, you're learning, you're hearing. It's great. I did a paper for a part of my master's that uh, was, was called Jesus and Genesis. And, uh, like this. This is the the thing. So the, again, I love that you focus this in on the non-arbitrary nature. Like when we see Jesus walking on water, this would hit for me. When we see Jesus walking on water, it's not just like another party trick. First, it was wine. Now it's walking on water. Right. Missing it if we think it's that, Jesus is literally for for disciples who knew the Bible, knew the Bible. There's this common misunderstanding that all oh, the disciples were illiterate and didn't. No, they weren't. Not at all. They might not have, like, read and written, but, like, as a Jew, you were required to learn Torah, and if you were stupid, you were sent away. So, again, let's stop there. Jews, little boys and girls up to the age of 8 to 10, knew their Bibles, memorized it. So... As a bunch of, you know, Jewish fishermen sitting in a boat over the water, exactly what you said, uh, Danielle, being like, Our brothers are down here. They're dead. They're in shale, Hades, hell, whatever it is that's down here. And we're only fishing because it's all we have left. We have to risk our lives. For Jesus to be walking out onto the chaos, immediate uh, chaos, immediately their brains would go back to Genesis 1 and 3. You know, so like, what? What? This is the God who rules over the deep, who calms the chaos, who has victory over death and evil. Holy crap. <laughs> like right, who's hovering
2: over the watery depth. Right. Yeah.
1: Yep. And yeah. so the, like the first disciple, whoever it is, is like, it's a ghost. You know, it's like, that's the easiest. I don't know. One of our brothers says, res- has come up from the dead. And Jesus is like, you're getting there. He keeps walking towards. No, it's our Lord. You're getting there. Who is this that walks on the water? And then Peter Isn't just like, I want to do the trick too. He's like, okay, he's probably ninety gram eight or three. And he's like, show, show me, show me that I can do it too. And she's like, like the very Neo matrix, you know, comes out onto the water. And again, not arbitrary. It's not just like, like, think about what Jesus is saying to Peter saying, you can do this. Two, the keys of life and death are in your hands. Jesus take, uh, Peter takes a couple steps, starts to sink. And then Jesus being like, like you said, the compassionate,
0: yeah. curious,
1: rebuke, whatever it is. He's like, why did you doubt? Like, I'm literally giving you the keys. This right. is you. Now, right. go and do the same. So there's a lot that's happening there. You, you know, Jesus isn't taking them to a party trick. He's taking them back to the depths of the created order for what was meant for harm will now be redeemed for good, Paul says. Uh, so yeah, I could go on, but that's what hits for me. I'm like, I'm just, I feel jacked up that like we can, as Christ followers, be an unstoppable force of good in the world. So what are we doing with our time? Let's get after it. Mm. Hey Amen. there, it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk about any other questions talk about this morning.
0: Jimmy, <laughs> that'll preach, man. That'll preach. I mean, come on, it's okay. contagious. Yeah. yeah. Danielle, Danielle, what were some of the things that, that you wanted to get to, but couldn't get to? Uh, you know, movie? they
2: actually, I think it might be nice to bring these up in the context of the questions, because okay. it was the questions that were sent in that prompted it for me. So um, I can't, I think one of the questions was, how do we have compassion um, and curiosity for ourselves, but then also with Jesus? Like, how do we see Jesus? Through yeah. that lens?
0: Well, that's
2: so, of- Yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, let's pull them up now. Then I think, uh, I think for me, there was there was one, there were a number of lines, but one line I think stood out for me was this idea of it just it, all it takes is a little bit of faith. A little bit of faith is all you need. It's a right. little bit of faith that can move the mountain,
2: right? And and
0: and and twisting that um, that phrase from Jesus from a rebuke to no, you've already got everything that you know. What you what's required, you have. Yeah, was was something that I'm going to be still processing that, I think, throughout the entire week. Um, so I was yeah, yeah, and actually, that. I
2: did a thing way back, like when uh, COVID first happened, I actually looked at the four instances in the gospel where he uses the term little faith to the disciples, and in every instance, really interesting, but like, you have little faith, do not worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to do, and it's like, you have little faith, like, why do you doubt, and it's you have little, so it's actually every time, it is being used by Jesus, if you rethink the lens of like what he's saying there, and it ends up being more of like a curious, like, if you could apply this little faith that you have in this direction, you would overcome this, you know, this is how you practice your faith. Yeah. So I think for me, that was really already present. Like I'd already discovered that, like, even that you have little faith, why do you worry? Like, why do we think that's a, a, a rebuke? I don't understand why we hear Jesus through that. Well, I understand it's, you know, it's from this, you know, years and years and years of hearing the voice of God through this, you know, disappointing, angry, foreboding, you know, you're not getting it sort of dismissive voice. And so I think, you know, that you have little faith, it's like all you with a little bit of faith. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, let me ask you these questions, you know, like, how can I help you apply this faith for the way that you're living? And um, it's changed the way I hear the phrase.
1: And it's fascinating. Again, Matthew 21 is like, if you have this little faith, you can move mountains. And then let's not forget, where does what does Jesus tell the mountain to do? You can say that it'll be thrown into the sea. sea. This huge signal of faith that conquers sin and death again. Jesus comes right. back to these uh, themes again. It's like, again, death is gone. Gone. It's not unseen yes. anymore. Like, if the Caesars kill you, so what? There's a resurrection coming. It doesn't right. matter. You know, right. So, right. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So That's let's cool. get let's let's get into these questions. That's so, the
1: intro.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, the first one first one is uh, Danielle. What happened to the woman uh, that you prayed for to break the curses?
2: Yeah, and so there's also another question from last week, which is what happened to Clarence. So these right. are people wanting to know like the long form version of these stories. So and also I did actually want to say a word about Clarence because somebody did write in sort of saying that you know the way that i told that story about clarence was kind of a little white saviorish and like the poor you know and i used town drunk but i was more just trying to describe how he was thought of in that context and i also wish i had more time last week because what i would love to do is connect the personal relationship that i had with clarence of this like you were not born for the gutter like just this like contending with him in his pain Um, And obviously, he's an alcoholic because he's treating his pain and his pain is caused by systemic and years of institutional racism and uh, sexual abuse and all the things that First Nations people have suffered. But what I wanted to do is sort of connect that what happened personally in that moment is the same thing that happens um, with Jesus stopping the funeral procession, this inevitable fatalism that is like, well, that's all that there is. And that's what you have to live with that's on entire people groups, right? So like First Nations brothers and sisters who are suffering this like uh, generational trauma and then re-trauma, I wanted to sort of say that same like feeling that was happening in me that was moving me to say no, like no, 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 sort of raging against this like death sentence is the same thing Jesus feels and wants us to feel with the bigger systemic picture of injustice and that kind of stuff. So, anyway, the bottom line with Clarence, what happened was he came to my house that day. He had coffee. We had a great night. I think we watched a movie together. <laughs> and then I drove him home and he continued to come in and out and still suffered in his pain. There's no happy story there apart from uh, that we were in relationship. And I was thankful for him in my life. Uh, the, the same is true with the woman at the brothel. That woman did not get out of the brothel, as far as I know. Um, I met her every Wednesday afternoon when I would visit and we would talk and chat and I would try to help her with some things in her life, but, um, she was very open to prayer every time. And actually one of the things that was cool about her is she was always the catalyst for prayer. She'd be like, remember how you did that? Can we do it again? Mm -hmm. And, um, so she was sort of the catalyst for receiving prayer. But, um, when I left Australia was still, uh, kind of stuck in that in that in that system it's a it's an oppressive system
0: Mm -hmm. yeah well the thing with the the thing with the story you shared about clarence is is that um he didn't go to the park right i think that was part of the piece it was like you know if he goes to the park at that point um he's going to perish yeah um so instead of doing that to spend time sharing a coffee enjoying a movie
2: yeah
0: being with family being with friends Yeah. uh, Because of that obedience. Yeah, it's good. Um, The next question is, uh, so someone uh, someone writes in saying, I'm still left wondering what does this look like to bring what we have? How does the rubber hit the road? Hmm.
2: Yeah, it's always hard to be too prescriptive because all of us, you know, are in different contexts and different things. But like, even as we broke down some of those stories, like, you know, do you break curses? Well, I can pray with people who are in need of prayer. Like I can um, bring Clarence home for a coffee and, you know, create more meaningful relationships instead of just like frustrated that he's trapped in this cycle of oppression. You know, Um, I can share with a neighbor. I can open my home for hospitality. I can call my friend who I know is struggling and it's not what I want to do today because it's going to bring me down, but I'm going to call her anyway because I know she needs a friend. And you know what I mean? Like, I think what we have often is literally what we have, like what is in front of you, like, if you could just start looking for where God is moving, and then participating with him. So, like, even evangelism, I had a a fascinating conversation about like, how we tell people about Jesus, and how what evangelism looks like in today's world, where everybody's, you know, really suspicious of the church and like hates agenda. And, um I think Shayla Visser, who's the head of Canada, Canadian Alpha said, you know, I really literally am just trying to tune in to the conversation God's already having with people. Mm. And I think that's such a beautiful. And when I was, my husband is a computer guy. Well, not, he's not a computer guy. He's, a, he's an email guy and an evangelist who's been stuck inside because of COVID. And what he wants to tell people, Jesus, that's his whole life. And he's like an old fashioned evangelist too, right? Like the four spiritual laws. He's like knocking on doors if he has, you know, he's just, and um and he's come up with this strategy that is, he's joining this movement that has these ads on the internet that are like, are you, do you want prayer? Like, are you spiritually hungry? Like, do you want to talk to somebody about faith? Like, and so these people are clicking. So all day long, he's on the computer talking with real people from all around the world who are in pain who are hopeless, who are brokenhearted, who are like, you know, confused, who like need somebody to talk to. And he's like regularly introducing those people to Jesus. Now I know there's all these questions about like, then what, and where do they go after that? And like, I get it. But one of the things that's done for him is it's reawakened that reality that people are living broken, suffering, hopeless lives. And that this thing Jesus is doing in the world that he's inviting us to be part of is like if we could just get ourselves out of the center of it and say he needs to let people know that they're not alone and that there's Mm -hmm. you know things to hope for and that they can live differently and so anyway both of us he's just telling me like every day he'll tell me about seven conversations he had with people from around the world and sort of some of the suffering that they have and the way he was able to partner with god in even their hunger and their, you know, and it's just beautiful. So I think like he just has a computer. That's it. <laughs> he didn't even leave the house and he talked to seven people yesterday about Jesus and offered to help and pray and wrestle and just be available to people in need. So I just think, you know, there's a lot of ways to use what we have to participate with God and what he's doing. Mm.
0: And I think that it can start with just an inventory of gratitude and just looking, at, just if, if you take the time to be thankful for what you've, what, what you've been given yeah. and it's amazing how quickly the, what you have can be used now to be a blessing to other people. So mm-hmm. even just, just, just that exercise of, uh, of, of being grateful for what you've already got can yeah. help you now say, Oh, so I've got extra, I've got all of this. So now how can I, yeah. not just, not just for, for me or my family be a benefit, you know, benefit from these things, but how then can we share it with others? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great.
2: Uh, The other thing I wonder about too, and this is kind of camping on last week's, but that, that uh, raging against fatalism is a big deal for me these days, because I feel like we've allowed fatalism to really creep into even our relationship with the world and ourselves and even with God. And just kind of, we have this like weird concept of fate, like, God will do what God wants to do with or without us. Like it's all up to, you know, like, and it's just like such a terrible, uh, theology of despair in the end. I mean, where it goes is just so dark and deep. So I really, I I really think that idea of raging against fatalism. So maybe one of the things that you can do is notice where there is this kind of sense of injustice or oppression or something at work in the world, and you're doing literally nothing. Like you're looking the other way, you're refusing to look towards. And then that kind of that, um, compassion circle of action that I shared last week of like, maybe the first thing is just opening yourself up to feel the sympathy of what it might be to be in that situation. And then letting sympathy move you to empathy and maybe connection with somebody and then letting empathy move you to compassion where you actually can begin to get involved Mm -hmm. and take action. So I just, I think there's even that is participating with God, right? Even that is doing something, um, moving towards.
0: Well, and this ties into a couple of questions that came from from uh, weeks ago. One is so on the on the um, the idea of fatalism. If we can see the correlation between fatalism and predestination theology, um, the idea that there are those that are simply created to be saved or not, like this idea, like like what will be will be. Kesa Sarah. Just you know. So what's the point of me even in engaging? Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Uh, maybe I'll start with you, Jimmy.
1: <laughs> I mean, hmm. yeah, I would say, um, you know, the, the doctrine of predestination is not a helpful one. It's a doctrine. It's, uh, it's, um, especially like in Anabaptist, Anabaptist theology, it's something that we, we push against the fact that like what's set in motion will be in motion until God stops the motion. And it's like, well, hold on here. Like that's not relationship. So how do we reconcile the narrative of scripture, the narrative of the ethos, ethic, and love of Jesus that was always in partnership, you know, like even um, Jesus and Lazarus. So Jesus could have very well said when Mary and Martha are like, Lord, master teacher, like our, your your friend has died. What are you doing? He could have been like, listen, I'm busy. What will be, will be the end. No emotion, very stoic, you know, stiff upper upper lip, the end. We don't see that in Jesus. So it's a bit of a, it's, I I feel like just relegating our thoughts to a predestined reality of God, uh, (laughs) really cancels out the beauty of compassionate relationship with God and compassion towards one another. Um, so that story is, I think a great signal of um, the heart and mind and movement of God. Uh, because what, how, how do we see Jesus orienting his his steps? He's doing something and he's not like, Oh, this is my, this is my show now. He's like, I'll get there. I will get there. But I'm also with somebody now. This won't be the end for him. He gets to the tomb uh, they're kind of ticked off at him. They're like, you dragged your feet, bro. Like, what? What? Think about what could have happened. Think about the witness that you could have had. And Jesus isn't like er, so mad at you. You never listened. He's just like sits or stands, whatever. Looks over the scene with his very close friends, and and that's who, who Lazarus was. It wasn't just like an. This was a like one of Jesus' best friends. So Jesus had his inner core three, then his 12, who were his disciplers, his 72, and then he also had this other pocket of, like, pals who, like, went out for beers or something like that, you know, Lazarus was one of those guys. Um, And Jesus weeps. Mm -hmm. Like, when you're tempted to dip your toes in the water of, like, what will be, will be, and God has ordered every single thing, that should arrest us right there, that Jesus is, like, overcome with emotion and grief, that he's lost a friend. And he doesn't quote the, you know, well, this was the will of God and the way of God, and da, 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 da. I don't know. I don't think that does us any, uh, does us any help. Um, so I think um, there's fascinating research on this too. From the, if, if you're looking to, to nerd out, uh, you can read Greg Boyd's Present Perfect, which is, um, you know, the no- the notion that God's God's predestination work is love. Like, that's what he has predestined into the world as a rule to follow, and that God's predestination born in love is, like, open to a number of different possibilities that doesn't negate, like, God's power and uh, providence in the world, but it actually filters it through love and not through order and holiness, which I think is where theologically we've got things wrong, sometimes. Yeah. And it leads us, I had really, um, one of the the game changers for me, having come from a denomination that was Calvinist and um, leaned more towards predestination is uh, one of my student leaders um, was driving to church one morning to play drums. He was in a car accident and was killed on the side of the road. So terrible, so terrible. Um, and this is a kid who was like, been through our discipleship program there every Sunday. It was a drummer, like amazing, amazing kid. And when you go through a tragedy like that, even for me as a pastor, I was like, what are you doing, God? Like if you have set this in motion, I don't know that I trust you. And I don't know that I want to follow this God. And it was exacerbating, exacerbated by the realities. Then I met with his mom to do the funeral and Mm -hmm. she fell into this trap of like, well, God's ways are not our ways. I mean, I guess this was his time. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Like what God would choose a tragic car accident on the way to church to play drums as the, this is your time, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think the switch for me was knowing that like God has predestined us to be, to be in love with him and to be loving towards each other. Love God, love your neighbor. Uh, I think that freed me up from those, um, theological shackles where instead of seeing God being like I chose this for him or whatever God is like weeping at the grave side as well mm. you
2: know it's so, helpful for you to think to remember that scripture that God wills everyone to be saved yeah. Like, yeah, so, so even, even if you on. are predestination driven then you should at least believe that everyone is predestined to be saved <laughs> and rage against the idea that people wouldn't be. So I think it's just a fact, I think predestination is trying to deal with the sovereignty of God and the things that we don't understand and can't explain. And then I think, you know, I have a good, a uh, Calvinist friend of mine who calls me eternally insecure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. And yeah. And so, and that idea of like, so we would be more around the free will, this participation this like exercise that we get to participate with God and we're free to decide to, or not to. And that the, you know, that taken too far can also often be this like God who is not sovereign. So it's like I feel like the predestination and free will folks at their very best when they come to their very best of their theology can actually live together in really healthy tension that God is both sovereign and also participatory, like and working Mm -hmm. through his body, which is us on the earth for redemptive purposes. But I think what happens is when those two things are not held in tension with each other, and they're taken to their extremes on both sides, but I would say particularly on predestination side, because it leans so quickly into a fatalistic idea of God and who people are, it also bears, you know, Catherine Booth, who really formed me in some of her theology, she called Calvinism the bear of hell,
1: <laughs>
2: uh. <laughs> which is, you know, pretty extreme. But she, because she raged against oppression and was working with people who were systemically oppression and pushed out of the church because they weren't born a certain way, it really is that caste system of spiritual. And we see this like Jesus raging against this too. So I think when predestination is taken to fatalism, it is exactly that it's a theology of despair. And it leads to hierarchy and great abuses. And like, that's where like slavery ends up being permittable. And this is where women and misogyny and abusive practices were years. So like, I don't really, you know, I cannot reconcile that theology with God or the Bible or any place where Jesus shows up in scripture. But the idea of like us just being up to it ourselves and somehow not coming to grips with a sovereign power and supernatural capacity of God to redeem all things in every way that also can take into an extreme lens to just like, you know, hard human right justice, you know, without the spirit of God, which ends up being angry. And, you know, that also does terrible things in the world. So I think somehow there's like a healthy, beautiful, and of course, Jesus is the person that holds us all together. And even like this Sunday, what a great example of this, he is sovereign over everything. Uh, and creative, and then participatory, like, come, and this is now your job. Like, this is your, we're going to do this thing together. What a beautiful way to bring those tensions together.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think, um, it, our, again, when when we move away from that fatalism, too, like, our Jewish brothers and sisters have so much to teach us in that way. Um, you know, the, the Jewish narrative of history is, like, I think today we go from, well, the world went from bad and is moving towards better until it all burns and Jesus right. takes us out of it. And it's like, hold on, hold on. Like yeah. in Jewish consciousness and the early church as well, like for the first few hundred years of early Christianity, the people of the way it's like, no, God started good and it's going to get gooder. We'll go through yeah. some clips, but it goes from good to gooder, good to better. You Know yes. so that should be a reminder for us too when we're tempted to be like, Well, it's all going to burn, God wills it, what are we going to do? Hands folded, staying at home. No, it, yes, we need to rage against that. We're meant to be an unstoppable force for good in the world yes. to make it gooder,
2: <laughs> grammatically incorrect, but gooder and gooder. Yeah. And gooder. Right.
0: <laughs> so, here's another question that uh, I think ties in a little bit to what we're talking about. Um, this person at Uh, I understand being moved towards other people's suffering and death. And I understand allowing Jesus to walk towards my suffering and death. But shouldn't I be walking away from my suffering and death and not towards it? Yes.
2: I mean, I do that on a regular basis. Uh, I take a lot of ibuprofen, even when I sense pain, it's way, yeah. Uh, there's a beautiful book called The Gift of Pain by Dr. Paul Brandt and um, Philip Yancey. It's actually just, just about pain and suffering and how it actually ends up being a gift. But what I would say, I mean, Jimmy, you probably have some uh, thoughts about this too. But what I would say about that is that, yes, of course, like your natural impulse is to move away from suffering and death. But I think what happens is that God wants to overcome the uh the power of suffering and death as like a final word so that we're always terrified of dying or like, we're always terrified of suffering so that that ends up being like the thing that is our, our, you know, Lord, in a sense, like, this is like the thing, if, if it means that, that I'm not doing it. And I think what Jesus is trying to do and model in his life is to say, actually, there's a power greater than that, that actually love and, a uh, self giving and compassion and living this new kingdom way is greater than suffering and death. So it's not like we want suffering and death. And it's not like we naturally run towards it. It's just that it does not have to be something we're running away from all the time. We don't have to like direct our whole entire lives to like avoid it at all costs. And you know, it was interesting because I, because Christians should be liberated from the power of suffering and death. I think one, the, the idea that says there's no meaning in suffering is also redeemed by the presence of Jesus who suffers. So that actually suffering can be redeemed itself. There's something very crazy and serious about that, but it is true. So that's where you'll get like prosperity preachers and stuff saying like all suffering is demonic and nobody should suffer and God doesn't want anyone to suffer. I do think God doesn't want anybody to suffer, but I do also think that God uses everything, including suffering in redemptive ways so that we don't have to be terrified or afraid or ashamed when we actually suffer. And then I think death is conquered. We don't, death no longer has to be the final word. And this is like what Jesus came to do is like dethrone death. And, um, I had these uh, refugees friends of mine living with me during when COVID first hit and everybody was locked down in Canada. I'll never forget. And she said to me, I remember her looking to me going like, Danielle, do Canadians not normally die?
0: (laughs) I was
2: like, what? And she's like, do you not normally die? Like what, like what's I like, she literally could not figure out what the panic was because she comes from a country where suffering and death is like a normal part of life. Like it is like, this is what, and and her faith, you know, she's a Christian infused with like a fiery faith. Their prayer meetings are because they're constantly living in the light of suffering and death and their faith is helping them overcome that. So she literally was coming to Canada. Canada was going like, Oh no, people are dying. Let's shut this whole country down. And she's just like, I don't understand. Like you just don't ever die. And I was just like, you know, it's fascinating the lengths we will go to, to push suffering and death out of our lives. And when you start actually making decisions that are fear-based around suffering and death, you realize you haven't been liberated from the power of that. Mm.
0: That's, yeah, we could, we could park that for days. I was going to say the rest of this conversation or days, I think we could spend time there. Um, Conversation came up at our home church just this past week, talking about that. And um, I have a, a good friend who, when we were together, we would gather uh, our families and a few other families would gather every week for a big meal and he often made the point like our our sunday sunday afternoon meal was a kind of communion and um and every time he got the mic to bless our our communion or our dinner table it was like um reminding us of what had to die in order for us to live and it's like it's so it's a beautiful piece of gratitude but also bringing death into the conversation which we we do everything we can to keep it out of the conversation no like we plug our ears and say no no no, it doesn't exist but it was a it was a simple practice of just recognizing even if even if you're vegan some things had to die in order to in order for you to have life right like that that uh that bread needed to be ground up or that vegetable needed to be uprooted from uh from the ground but but taking stock of what had to die in order for us to have life, and thinking of that, so in a simple way of just sharing a meal, but then also throughout <laughs> throughout our life, that uh, death plays a large role. But then to be reminded on top of that that Jesus came to dethrone even death, yeah. that thing that we just like we spend so much time trying to run, 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 run from. So I love, yeah, I love, I love, yeah. We, like I said, we could park there <laughs> for for days and days. It's yeah. huge,
1: though. I mean, that's the. And we should we should park there for days. Like, so first sermon that Jesus teaches is. Some people will be like, oh, it's the Sermon on the Mount. No, 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 no. It's in the temple. And he reads the scroll of Isaiah 61. Yeah. And what does Isaiah 61 say? This is The spirit of the Lord, the anointing of God is upon me. And the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to comfort the people who are broken and suffering, moving towards death, pro- proclaim that people who are enslaved will be released and freed, to enter into those that uh, are mourning and in grief and pain together, and to announce that the year of the Lord's favor has come. So it's not just to like, hey, get in there, get in the dirt and suffer and die. No, 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 no. It's to get in there. Absolutely. And to help paint a new picture of the kingdom that is being redeemed, that is being restored, like M.T. Wright puts it, that God is putting the world to right, you know, to to, yeah. to the proper way that it was always meant to be. Uh, so just Daniel, what you said there, I think is like spot on is like, it's not just you know, health and wealth theology is like avoid it, get rid of it, get money. You know, get this bread and move on. It's also not like self-flagellation of like get into suffering, whip yourself. You know, engage in pain, welcome, and then you die. You know, life sucks, and then you die. It's actually the redemptive work in the middle of like move into suffering and pay attention that there are people around you because um, mm. uh, Abraham Heschel says like this has always been the the cause of Israel is to notice. Um, I'm gonna misquote it, but it's um, uh, to to basically to notice your orbit. So if you are on this journey with God alone, you're doing it wrong. You know. And where are the majority of people? Are they in health, wealth, private planes, mansions? No. The majority of the world is suffering. Is in in some way, shape, or form, pain. And So that's the
2: majority of the world. Yeah. Exactly. Two thirds,
1: (laughs) billions of people. And so as Christians, I think it's a timely rebuke to us. Is like God's being like, yo. Re- point your eyes towards where the majority of people are. They are on the margins, and be a voice of redemption and reconciliation to them, knowing that it might not resolve. That your life might end in death. Will end in death, actually, because everybody dies. We're all uh, gonna
2: die. That's right.
1: <laughs> we're all gonna die. But there's no fear in that. There's no fear in that. We're like a little, you know, stepping stone on the path of God that's bringing the world to redemption. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, anyway, we can stay there like you said, Quincy. Right
0: <laughs> yeah, let me get to, uh, so this was this was a, a question that came from the first week, um, talking about slowing down. Uh comment or question is, I agree that at times uh, I need to slow down, especially if the issue is me ignoring people on the way. But mm-hmm. I struggle a bit with the slowness uh, message because there are urgent matters. Uh, starvation, humanitarian crisis. Um, I'm not sure the message of slowdown would be appreciated for children in desperate need for food or people in need of basic medication. What do we do with, uh, with those urgent needs? Yeah. And I, I, I love this question. I think it's, I think it's a good one. And, um, and I, I think, I think we can, depending on, on our disposition and where we're leaning towards, I think we can use the slowness almost as an excuse to absolve us from responsibility ah, so the, slon- the
1: slowness yeah
0: right yeah. the slowness is more like if i move slow enough now then somebody else will be able to take the slack and <laughs> i don't have, i don't have to do the hard work but i i think i think what we're talking about um when we talk about slowing down there are so many urgent needs like you know in this in this comment there's so many that are that are mentioned here right so uh, humanitarian efforts that are all over the world i f- my concern is that if we don't slow down, then we run ourselves ragged trying to, trying to save the world or trying to do everything right. But what ends up happening is, is as we slow down, we get to discern God's will. And I think what Jesus is trying to say for us specifically and how to engage in these things. Yeah. There are a million uh, uh, efforts and organizations and places where we could be spending our time, our money and everything else. And we will kill ourselves trying to solve every issue. But I, I think what ends up happening is, and it ties into I think seeing around what's in your orbit. We don't have to look far for suffering. But sometimes there's that. What's that saying? It's um, you get para- uh, paralysis by analysis, where mm-hmm. you can just sit and watch the news. If you spend most of your time watching uh, watching the news or 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 swiping your through your phone, all the terrible things that are happening in the world. Well, there, that that'll put you right into that fatalist uh, mindset of well, look, it's all like, what's the hope? What's the chance? of me making any kind of difference. But I, I'm a firm believer that slowing down and, and being able to discern the will of God and being able to hear from him doesn't happen when we move at breakneck speed, trying to put out every fire that, that comes our way. Um,
2: Quincy, so, I was going to say too with this, like I think you're, you're nailing that, but I, I was also just thinking through like development strategies that, you know, even this idea of frantically walking in and feeding as many people as you can in a development context so like in my journey with some of those relief organizations like world vision will say this it completely changed their development uh poly- like and actually if you were paying attention to the cho when we introduced chosen the new strategy of child development um in through the sponsorship program with world vision they realized that as development agency if they don't go in And actually walk with the people, identify the people, find the needs of the people, partner with the people, then the work that they do is actually just delaying inevitable and sustaining patterns of oppression and poverty and scarcity. So I was actually thinking the very thing that we want to do with God, like that, that thing of like, I don't want to slow down. I just want to work for God. I don't want to know God. I don't want to know what he needs. I don't want to know what he wants. I don't want to partner. I just want like, "Ah," is that that same frantic idea of development actually has shown that it is really ineffective because we have no relationships, no depth, no understanding, because we haven't slowed down enough to understand what's happening in this local context. So I think it can cause more harm,
0: right? It can cause more harm than good, right? It can cause
2: more harm. Like, and there's examples of that. Like there's a, somebody that came in, you know, from North America and did like a commercial idea of farming because it works for us. There's like a thousand reasons why it doesn't work there because of the soil and the way that the seasons work. And they went Mm -hmm. in and just kind of did this, like, this will be better and didn't listen to the elders, didn't listen to the rhythms, the culture. And of course they already knew that this isn't a good strategy. So, like, I think then, again, them, like, just slow. Now they have to like totally undo that work. They have to like retoil. Like, there's millions of dollars they spent doing this like new cool thing, but they never slowed down enough to talk or to walk with the people that they were trying to help and partner with. So, I think even that, like, I think it's fascinating. Just the strategy is not like we're not trying to get to urgent matters. I think it's that the urgency is that we have to do something, the slowness is the how we do it well yeah So, same with like there's an urgency for you to find Jesus, absolutely. I need you to find Jesus today because without jesus there's death that's it like I you know you literally death is the final word for you. I need you to find Jesus, but actually, the way you find Jesus is to slow down to notice the voice of God, to listen to Jesus, to respond to create relationship, same exact thing for all the ways we do meaningful work in the world is through the pace of relationship
1: yeah. Yeah, and that finding Jesus isn't just your ticket into the afterlife. It's also your ticket to show you what it means to be fully human. Right? You know, Jesus didn't come to just be like, okay, this is your ticket out. It's like, no, no, no. This is what it means to be flesh and bones here, honoring God, living in the shalom of of, of yes. true unity with God and with each other. Um, I heard, uh, I was at a conference a number of years ago with Erwin McManus, who's the uh, founding pastor of Mosaic in L.A., And uh, he he was asked this very question. It was a it was a Veritas lecture, so it wasn't like a Christian conference. It was like a debate conference, and his response to this question was so brilliant at moving at the speed of relationship. So somebody who came up, he's like, "I'm an atheist, and I just reject your premise that God is like reconciling the earth, and that Jesus is good news. Like Christians have never been good news." Uh, here's why like what is what is god doing right now with the famines in india and this is like 2005 um and Irwin's response was i love that question it's haunted me for years i was in india last week where were you mm-hmm. and the whole room just fell silent it was like oh yeah does it do us any good to philosophize suffering away mm-hmm. to be that it's somebody else's problem with your Theist, atheist, agnostic, right? It's still our world. It's still our there are still our brothers right. and sisters. So do something. Right. Do something, you know? But always at the speed of relationship. Like there's also the notion that you can't um you can't drink from an empty well. You know. Mm-hmm. So I do think sometimes that suffering is like in internal. So like the pace of like moving into like being in relationship with people is also being like, God, I'm not I'm not good. Mm-hmm. So What is the internal work that I need to do while I process how I am part of this reconciling work of God as well? I think that's been the most regular thing that God has said to me over many, many years, because I tend to want to move quickly and get dramatic results. And just to hear the gentle voice of Jesus being like, son, no, slow down, slow down.
2: You know when we when you were preaching at Quincy that first week I was I I could tell well first of all it should be said that you preached that to an empty auditorium. Yeah. <laughs> that is the hardest work as a preacher to preach to a
0: uh, nobody. It's yeah, like not a, lot of, not a lot of amens from the cameramen at that no. time but that was right. uh, And that was you are weird.
2: literally like it's really a work of faith isn't it? It's just a work of faith and all the energy is coming from you. There's no sense of like collective energy which is Anyway, so it's really hard. So those of you who are listening, just going like, I just want to tell you as a preacher who has spoken to nobody for a long time, <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. And that's why today probably it was such a pleasure just to speak to real you know, people in the room. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I, I think um, that even as you were like, I could tell you were setting a pace in sort of this decision to slow it down, like you were like, I am not going to rush this conversation about Jesus slowing down. And like, even with me, I was like, rush it, man. Like I can't take it anymore. (laughs) Like I just was like, go fast. And then I knew you were doing it on purpose. So like, I was like, I know he's like refusing to rush his pace because he's trying to slow the pace down, but it was still inside of me. It was like bringing all those, and the memory that I had actually when you were speaking about Jesus slowing his pace and us slowing down was of my dad, who was, by his own admission, a workaholic my whole life, doing really good things for God. He's in ministry. But I could never keep up with him as a little kid. I remember whenever I was walking with my dad, I had to run. I just had to run. And so and then what, used to, what happened as I grew a little bit older and I got a little bit ticked off about it is I would just not run. And so literally you can track our relationship. Like, I don't know how old I was like nine, maybe when I just stopped running mm-hmm. and I just fell behind and I would eventually know that maybe I would catch up to him or not, but i neither, he would not slow, slow his pace and I would not speed my pace. And what happened was we just, we just literally moved apart. And what was happening in the physical was actually happening also in our, our relationship as well. So I just, I, I had this like deep, I was like, oh, yes, I remember so hard trying to keep up with my dad and him refusing to slow his pace. And me sort of feeling like all these, like, I can't keep up. And I guess, I'm, and then just sort of going like, okay, I'm out. Right. And I just want, I, I thought there was so much of a powerful work where Jesus is like, oh, no, I'm the kind of guy <laughs> that's going to slow down. Because you matter more than where it is I'm trying to get to. You know, and you have this, like I thought about that beautiful story of the woman who interrupts Jesus on his way to Jairus's house and he stops. And Jairus is like, dude, my daughter's dying. The urgent, urgent, urgent. Rocking urgent. And up. Jesus is like, I got stuff to do right here. This woman matters to me. I'm going to slow down here.
1: Yeah.
2: And I just think like, Wow. I mean, it was just so beautiful for me, just internally listening to you, but all that like angst coming out of me. (laughs) And then even I do this with my kid, you know, like I literally have to notice like Strickland, slow it down. Like this is not a race. Like it's going to be okay. Like (laughs) be present here, pay attention to these people, Um, these little guys trying to keep up with you, you know, anyway, powerful. Yeah. yeah,
1: Like again, Amen. Th- that last thing that you said, Danielle, I think is something that God is like moving. It's funny how God like connects all these dots, but it's not just like slowing down to be like, okay, kids, what do you want? Ugh, you know, mommy or daddy's got stuff to do. It's actually like, these are my kids. Like th- my, yes, my the Yes,
2: the whole point. Children. Right.
1: It's <laughs> fascinating so in Mark five that you referred to there. Jesus never calls her woman. So Mark five story of the woman bleeding, the disciples call her woman. What does what is the only thing Jesus calls her? Daughter. Daughter daughter like what what rabbi would do that nobody this is god in flesh being like not only do i see you do i see your sickness do i recognize your faith but i am your father like i am your parent here and i absolve you of everything your faith doesn't you well you know so it's not that jesus just slows down to be like okay let's check my task list it's that jesus slows down with us and be like hey son hey kid hey daughter relationship
2: speed of relationship
1: yep
2: it's the point not the destination, right? The relationship's the point. Yeah.
0: And there was another comment, not so much a question, but a comment. I think this is connected more with your your teaching, Jimmy, of Jesus seeming to um, spend time going smaller and deeper than he does bigger and wider. So even, even the choice. So we're familiar with the, the humble beginning story. Um, in the Christmas story that we, you know, we talk about, you know, little baby in a manger and shepherds and everything else. But interesting that Jesus continues to make the choice to, to move in humility even after the resurrection. So after Jesus dies and is buried and then come back, comes back again, you expect that, you know, like now's the time to really like make it count, but still yep. comes in a, comes in a, in a, in a spirit of humility. Um, And chooses to go with that smaller group as opposed to, you know, like kick down the door of the temple or even, you know, pilot or whoever else, you know, it's like, you know, the payback now is going (laughs) to, people are going to feel the wrath, but, but that he, he makes that choice to say, no, 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 this is, this is, this is the way, this is how I want to show you on how to, how to live. Speaking of this is the way it reminded me of the Boba Fett anyway. So my, my mind just jumping there. I've been watching when you're talking about how leaders of the day would always get carried everywhere, right? It was just kind of this, uh, this idea of the, per, um, procession. Mm-hmm. My mind went to, uh, the Jabba the Hutt's uh, cousins in that. I don't know if you're watching anyway, I'm, I'm all the way in. So Jabba the Hutt's co- uh, cousins, these two big fat kind of monstrous things get carried around everywhere. And it's this example of, yeah, this is how royalty gets dealt with. It's like, they don't need to walk because they're, they're higher, they're superior, but Boba Fett is this new leader in town. And just, he does, he's a strange one out because he's, he's a leader that walks everywhere that doesn't need to be carried. Anyway, that's, that's a, off the (laughs) side thing.
2: There are extra resources to check out later.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The book of Boba Fett. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. But, but yeah, but, but, but that idea of Jesus wanting to go smaller and deeper, um, as opposed to this grandiose um, big presentation.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, um, this is the subversive genius of Jesus. Like Jesus could have uh, in his resurrected form being like, you know, Messiah is here, you know, the anointed one is here. And it's even better than that. It's not just that I'm anointed. I'm a prophet from God. I'm the one, the reconciler that Moses made reference to. I am actually the divine in human form. Look at me go. Jesus could have like transported to Rome and set himself up in, you know, Caesar's uh, you know, throne room or chair or whatever, or could have gone to temple and said, okay, let's just like take the system that it is and I'll just, you know, um reroute power. Um, Daniel, I actually want to turn this over to you because we were talking just before we started and you talked about like God is doing a new thing and the ship isn't coming with it, which I think is that's the thing. So This is what Jesus does is he, we have to notice that like the future of the movement of Jesus is intentionally small, Mm -hmm. slow, and relational. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I think we've been, not to say that all things Western Christianity are bad, definitely not. But when our faith life is relegated to a, a giant communal gathering for one hour on Sunday from 10 to 11, oh, we have missed it. We've missed it. It's an it's an add-on, but it's not the thing, you know, and Jesus undid that, undid the temple construct. Like it, the only time that he taught in temple was a rebuke of temple, mm-hmm. you know, so far, it, like it's so much that he said, like, you think this is important, I'm going to tear it down. And they're like, you're going to tear this thing down? Like our forefathers spent years building this and you're going to tear it right. down. i you're going to tear it down. I'm going to rebuild it and it's going to look nothing like what
2: mm-hmm. you thought.
1: It's gonna so be I think that should be... Lives exactly that should be a. and also
2: the other thing is like he never wanted it
1: exactly he never never
2: wanted it it. i mean this is like all through scriptures he does not want to dwell in human constructs apart from the people of god his children he wants a family not a building he wants a community you know not like so i think it's really interesting i've been i was telling these guys before we started that i've been preaching this is so good from Acts 27 where Peter's final missionary journey and he's on the way and where actually this is even even more interesting is where he wants to go is to Caesar because he his strategy is to get to the center of the power structure of the Roman Empire and subvert it by presenting the gospel to Caesar and he cannot get there the boat goes everywhere but there and there's storms and there's hurricanes and the ship's coming apart and everyone's freaking out and then God gives uh Paul a word and says you are eventually going to make it. Don't worry. Everyone else here is going to make it. The people are going to be fine. The ship is not coming with us. <laughs> and it's such a funny word because they're like in a storm on the sea. Like, what on? This is the only thing they know to get from A to B. And God is like, I've got something else in mind. So I think it's just been a really, a season for a lot of us. Uh, and whether you're in business or whether you're in church or whether you're like, whatever it is that you're, You know, you doing. We do feel an undoing of those familiar patterns, those structures, those systems that we were trying to furiously hold together. And I feel like the Lord's like, okay, look, one, you belong to me, you serve me, and I've got a plan. You're going to be okay. Let the ship go.
1: (laughs) Let it go.
2: Yeah, just let it go. And then, you know, it goes on. But the last two things that happen, the next, the final chapter of Acts, which I think is also fascinating. The story is hilarious. There's snakes and fires and all kinds of things. But, uh, and you're just thinking, honestly, like, if you're a leader that's been at this for a long time, you just think, surely this is going to get easier. Don't read Acts 27. (laughs) Cause it does not get easier. It gets worse. But anyway, Paul and his, all the people end up on the shore of this like no name Island that no one knows about to these people who've never heard about Jesus. It's not the center of power. It's literally the opposite of that, which is always where Jesus is going. And, um, they arrive with nothing. They arrive with nothing except themselves. And I always imagine like even castaway, right? Like maybe there's a the volleyball. I don't know, but anyway, just nothing but themselves. And, um, I remembered the words of Jesus, you know, when he sent out the disciples, he literally said to them, don't take anything with you. Don't take anything with you. Find relationships, be in need, like be vulnerable. Like, and I just thought, oh my gosh, like I have done church the opposite of that almost for my whole life. I have something to offer. I have something to give you. I have, you you know, you need to come to us because we have that. And it's like Jesus sent the disciples out in the very opposite way. And that's how Paul ends up washed up on the shore of Malta. And then um, the very final uh, passage of scripture that it says, Paul, this is the way he ends his apostolic ministry is he rents a house and he invites anyone that wants to come in to talk about the kingdom. (laughs) Mm. That's what that's literally the greatest apostle of all time uses hospitality (laughs) and relationship as the final strategy to end his entire ministry. I just thought, oh, like my mind is just like being blown right now in terms of all that God is showing me Mm -hmm. uh, and the things that we hang on to that we do not need to, or he never wanted us to, and just to trust him. Um, I think even as we farewelled Kate at the Oakville site after the live stream was over, so nobody saw that, but just even Kate's witness of saying like, I'm hearing God say, come, I'm hearing God say, prioritize people who feel excluded and marginalized and be with them. Um, and I'm going to like, just, I'm letting go of this construct and this thing and this like salary and this like safety, because God's telling me this is where I want you to be. And then you just see all this, like, yes, that's how the church moves. That's how God moves. And, um, we just want it to be more grandiose. Like what we want is we want the Roman version of conquer instead of the subversive rabbi from Galilee's version of spread. (laughs) Uh,
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, like how did Jesus, he is his 12 and his 72. And then in Luke, uh, 10 or 11, somewhere in Luke, um, Jesus, like Gathers the folks and then doesn't send out a crowd. He sends them out in pairs. Now again, right. I was reading a Jewish theologian the last couple of weeks. Think about that for a second. Jesus is reconciling and repairing the world in twos, moving out in twos. Mm-hmm. Where have we heard this before? The story right. of the flood. Right. You know, in that version, God was repairing, the, preserving the world with twos. You know, right. animals coming in and Jesus, bringing them in, and now he's
2: sending them out. Right. Exactly
1: yeah um, there's a new flood and it's a good one it's repairing the world you know
2: right
1: wow. i guess because yeah there's there's luck there too
2: we'll let the dogs out that's the name of that right?
1: term. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: i love it no and i think and i i can't i'm just checking the time now i'm realizing our yeah. hour is up it feels like we just got on oh, not long yeah. ago but this is i think an indication of uh of good conversation and just like anytime anytime you're with friends and you haven't been able to talk to them on a, on a certain level for a while and you've got tons left you've talked for hours and you still have more to say is a good indication <laughs> it's like you need to do this again so the good news is we will be doing this again um, we've got uh, marked in the calendar the last the last Sunday of February which will be the last our wrap-up of our of our new series that' we'll be starting going through the book of Colossians uh, I'm I'm excited about that I'm I think that uh, this is going to be some pretty cool stuff that God is going to show us and speak to us and through us. So uh, with the different creative pieces that we've got cooked up and it's, just, I, I think it will be a, a beautiful time. So thank you guys. I appreciate you so much. Thank
2: you, Quincy.
0: Man, this is wonderful. This is good, good, uh, like a bomb, a bomb uh, to the soul. <laughs> so, so let's continue to walk with him and, uh, and yeah, we'll see you again soon. Thanks everybody for watching. Friends. See you next time.